Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to the second part of the Daily Canon weekly podcast end of season roundup. And we're doing something slightly different this time. Uh, we're going to cover some of the same things as we did with Anita and Lana, but also we're going to do things from a different perspective because I've got Paul Williams, as uh, is invariably the case, but also Dave Powell, who is a Brentford fan who you may remember from trying to console us after our humiliation uh, oh. in West London at the start of the season. And so we're going to talk about things from both the perspective of Arsenal, but also a bit about Brentford. And, and also that external perspective as Arsenal as well, as well as the internal one, because I think it's really good for us to hear what other people think, particularly for other people who aren't there to take the piss or wind us up or, or have an axe to grind. And then also we will, of course, talk a bit more generally as well. Um, so, yeah, there's no point in me waffling on an intro. You all understand my voice, so I'm going to stop talking. So, uh, firstly, gentlemen, how are you both? Yeah, I'm really good. really good. Went to see Top Gun from Max yesterday, which was incredible. Um, film of the year somehow I'm not sure how that's maybe I haven't seen enough films um, and then I went to see Mickey Flanagan do a work in progress show last night with Joe uh, and we laughed our heads off my face was hurting uh, yeah good thanks Matt. I can't, <laughs> I can't I'm, I'm going to see Top Gun next week I cannot wait no spoilers please although I'm pretty sure uh, it involves planes so cool. uh, yeah all good um, had a very good season which I'm sure we will talk about Indeed, indeed, indeed. And with that in mind, uh, just first off, uh, I mean, this is, we're probably more interested to hear from you, Dave, because obviously me and Paul talk about this all the time. But what was your impression from the outside perspective, and particularly given what you said when we Mm. spoke at the start of the season, (laughs) about how Arsenal's season has gone and, and, you know, A, what you think as an outsider who is, you know, not invested, but is vaguely interested, but also uh, how, how you think Arsenal fans should feel well arsenal fans in general should shut up moaning but we've had that conversation before. <laughs> yes, um, <we> agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i come on your podcast didn't i after the first game of the season when it was brentford two arsenal nil and used two were right miserable and i said i think i was right i might be misremembering this might just be false memory but i'm pretty sure i said to you something like you were rubbish you stunk the place out but like cheer up it's only the first game and and like it could get a lot better and it's not all doom and gloom and that's sort of how if memory serves that's sort of how i, I, I mean i think your right. your exact conclusion words were you'll all be all right you'll be all right <laughs> you were all right you know yeah. you nearly finished above spurs that's good isn't it so <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah that word nearly it's a big word yeah it get big, gets bigger every year doesn't it that word um yeah. so i thought oh you did all right it was uh, I, i've seen some of your games this season um most recent one i watched was the leeds game primarily with a hilarious interest in leeds getting stuffed um and i thought you were really good like when 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 i've seen you saw you in the cup thought you were very good in that uh pretty impressed so i haven't seen the games in which you've been a bit limp to be honest <laughs> um so you'll you kind of have to tell me about that but it did something that has struck me from afar just sort of watching the bits i've watched is there's still that fragility there do you know what i mean we talked about this i think before and obviously it's kind of been it seems to be a thing that's followed you your team around for like 10 years right just kind of a you know lack of resilience there it's still kind of there right like um you you, you know sort of bottled it a bit there didn't you and like 
Yeah, I don't know. You tell me. But that's that's how it seemed to me. But finishing fifth is all right. Bloody hell. Like, you know, you'll take it, wouldn't you? And I think we would have taken it uh, both before the season started and particularly after the first three games. Uh, but yeah, and I, I think, I, I mean, I'll, I'll ask Pauline's opinion in a second, but I, I, there is still a fragility there. And it's a fragility that I think is from slightly different reasons to previous fragilities in that, uh, I mean, there are definitely less wankers at the club than there have been in recent years. But unfortunately, part of the process of making that happen has resulted us in having lots of very young players, mm. most of whom haven't faced the rigours of a full Premier League season before. I mean, I mean, obviously, we didn't have Europe to contend with and what have you, and, and but uh, and also not having not having enough quality depth to be able to rotate. So basically, they by the time they got to the last month of the season, the team was knackered and was running out of legs, and they just looked a bit dead on their feet. And unfortunately, uh, it's not very useful doing that when it comes to crunch time <laughs> of the season. And that is something, and, and that has been for different reasons a theme. As you say, for some time, you know, they're not enough, not quite enough quality to be able to rotate the rotate the players you really, really want in the team, and so they're all shagged out by the end of the season, and you end up having to rely on the wankers you've been trying not to use in the first place. Not that that was quite the case, because as I say, you know, certain individuals have left, um, but uh, there is a, there is a consistency of theme there. Um, Paul, any I know that we've talked about this at length, but any any further reflections now? The dust has settled a little bit more. Well, uh, helpfully. I'm not sure if it's helpful or not, actually. Um, but I saw my uncle on <laughs> Tuesday. Your, your chip. And, and we actually had a really sensible... I don't know, it's quite interesting. As you say, now the dust has settled, we were actually able to have a sensible conversation and take the emotion out of this game away and just actually talk about what was wrong. And actually... I think we both basically agree with each other, although we're coming at it from slightly different angles, as I've um, said and made clear on this podcast many times before. Um, but he was talking about, again, about how the top four was there for us and we didn't turn up against Tottenham and we didn't turn up against Newcastle. And we, you know, as Dave said, sort of bottled it a little bit. And I saw it a little bit differently and just felt that as you said Matthew you know it's a young team and also the issue specifically in that Newcastle game was that we were running out of players at a rate of not specifically defenders and I just didn't think the team was quite capable of making that final push but I'm all right with that it's uh you know the the, the majority of that team is a young team and this, uh, the big problem for me is a lack of ruthlessness. But they're kids, you know, you're not supposed to be a ruthless footballer when you're 23 years old. That comes later. That's like the next stage of your development. Um, and we can't, Martin Erdegaard, I think, is probably a classic example of that in my uncle's eyes. He, he was said to me, he needs to be able to stamp his personality on the game or he needs to demand the ball. And I said to him, well, look, if he only gets six passes from central midfield all night, what are you expecting him to do? Um, and what my uncle expects is for my uncle to do more of the stuff that he did against Everton. <laughs> so um, I, I feel, I remember being talking with you after we let Aubameyang go and saying that, we could, you know, I understood the rationale behind it, but feeling that we might end up in a situation where we ended up missing out on top four because of <laughs> lacking his goals. 
But I don't actually think that's what the problem was in the end. I think the problem was we had a young team who just weren't quite good enough to get us over the line. And that's actually okay when you look at Tottenham's front line. Yeah, and as I'm sure we'll get on to in a Brentford perspective, uh, a greater degree for Brentford, but, you know, it's about direction of travel at this stage. You know, mm-hmm. Arsenal have been a club in reverse for a few years now. Uh, and uh, and this was at least the, the car stopped going backwards and started creeping forwards again. And um, ultimately, if they do good business in the summer, this will be a, a better team than it has been for a number of years. So you I don't... Some, yeah. And that's some really exciting players, haven't you? Like, and, and you compared to watching Arsenal for the last, what, five years it's been pretty i don't have to tell you pretty boring right and like um some of the players you've got now i mean this is a good problem to have okay you're you're really good young players there's not quite enough of them and they're not quite there yet but that's good right compared to where a lot of teams are compared to where you've been for the last few years look at man U, right where they're they're definitely not going the right way (laughs) they don't don't have a plan there's a plan there's an obvious plan there's an obvious way of playing um and then you know you're coming up against teams like newcastle they were winning games primarily because they bought half their team in january you know and and can rotate and that's one of the reasons they were doing so well towards the end i think yeah and as you as you allude to newcastle's home form post post Saudi money uh, was uh, I think third best in the league um, you know it was disappointing because actually we if we'd had a full team fully fit we probably would have had a done well against them but we were limping and they were and they were flying and you know that's just going to happen sometimes um, well there is that unfortunate sliding doors moment isn't there if, had they not got that money Arsenal may very well have gone and won the game but one of the things that my uncle actually did recognise talking to him on Tuesday was that, um, you know, when Manchester City have got all the money in the world to spend on all the players in the world, um, what actually are Arsenal supposed to do? And even he can see, as much as he's disappointed by how the season's finished, you know, the recruitment last summer was good. And if we do something similar this season, the team will improve. Will it improve enough? We don't know. I mean, you know, look at how well Liverpool have done this season and they they come out of it having not won the league title. 92 points. Yeah, and it's also, you know, how good is good enough? And that's that's a question that every club has to has to reposition itself on as, as the landscape changes around them a bit. But when you're looking at a Brentford perspective, I mean, Dave, you, you, you've mentioned the fact that, you know, Arsenal now finally have something that looks like a plan and some sort of coherence to the way they're operating and a, and a kind of clear strategy. And of course that defines Brentford over the last few years. And, and we've really seen this season, the fruition of, that consistency and intelligence of approach. So as a Brentford fan, obviously, you, apart from being like absolutely made up, how do you feel the season went for Brentford? Because, you know, we were quite optimistic about Brentford at the start of the season, but I think it, it may have even exceeded those expectations. Oh, it did. It did. It did. Um, I think if you'd have said to me we'd have finished 17th on the last game of the season or something, I would have taken it. So the fact that we were... 13th, 12th, 11th, you know, one point sticking our head up to 10th with, you know, we were basically safe and quite comfortably mid-table at the end of the season. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty blinking amazing, really. There was that moment, there was a point around about February when we hadn't won for ages Mm. and I... I thought, and everyone was starting to say, oh, we're going the wrong direction and we were, couldn't buy a win and we weren't playing very well. 
we just turned it around and we can we can come to that you know not not necessarily for the reason that lazy pundits say but we you know our season did go in a different direction so yeah it's been it's been amazing it is only 13 years since we beat darlington to come out of the bottom division out of league two um in 2009 that's how long that has been right and you know i some of the the vast pretty much the entirety i would say of my brentford support in life has been like cheltenham and Accrington stanley and mansfield and so the very idea that i'm sitting here going yeah we finished 13th in the premier league i think next season we might even finish like 10th you know <laughs> that's amazing and frankly all a bit strange and silly well, it's also the fact that Brentford not—they didn't just do well against the teams that you'd think might think they had a puncher's chance against. But you know, I mean, we obviously know they beat Arsenal at the start of the season. But Arsenal were not the only, you know, very big club that Brentford had quite a nice time against. Like Chelsea? Do you mean Chelsea? You mean Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to let you say that. I was going to let you say. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I missed. Um, there's a few games of this season that I missed. I was away for that Chelsea game, so I didn't go to it. And I didn't see it, and I was following it on my phone whilst I was on a Scottish island. It was very annoying. But yes, beating Chelsea four-one at theirs was that's hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> but, um, and you know. I think it points to something else, which is that it's deserved. You you don't finish 13th in this sort of league if you're not actually quite good, or at least, you know, there's not something there. You can't fluke staying up in the Premier League, really, unless you're Leeds, right? <laughs> um, but when you're that sort of comfortable, you can't really, you can't do it. And we were, at times, towards the end of the season in particular, we were amazing like really really good our press is extraordinary the fitness is great and yeah okay eric we can talk about ericsson you know who is amazing but not not solely responsible for getting out of it but some of the stuff he was doing was just yeah extraordinary again considering 13 years ago we were playing mansfield and 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 that lot so yes yes as i as i said to a couple of other people on on the, the social media uh that brentford you know it's a situation where some you know a player like Christian Eriksen chose to go to them on a free and a not great wages when he had a you know he didn't have all the options because obviously people were worried about his his, his health situation but he still had options yeah. you know and I said it's a it's a far cry from the day of like praying for Jamie Bates to come back from injury you know uh, 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 um, and yes. and ultimately. I mean, again, Brentford achieved more than I thought they would, but I was I was really confident believing in you guys from the start of the season just because I thought they were better than the teams that finished ahead of them in the championship. And also I thought there was just a, a, an absolute clarity of process and approach, a combination of controlling football, good football, but also marginal gains left, right and centre. You know, we all know about Brentford's set-piece expertise. And of course, you know, if you're a t- in, all right, it's one thing if you if you're one of the top three or four teams in the world and can spunk a billion pounds on transfers, but if you don't have that, you've got to find things that work for you. Um, but even if you, but even if you do have hundred billion pounds and all the money in the world, and you should still do some of those things. Yes, well, exactly. <laughs> and this is to your earlier question because you were talking about Arsenal, like, are they good enough? And I was going to ask you, like, how good how good do you want to be? Like, is the aspiration seriously to win the title? But the difference between the teams that do well in this Premier League and the teams that don't. Yes, it's wages first and foremost, but then it's having a plan. 
right? Yeah. And yeah. if you've got a plan that runs all the way through the club and you're professional, and this is something it feels to me that Arsenal are now have, it sort of seems from the outside, like compared to those last 10 years, the post-Wenger years anyway, of just kind of like sort of didn't really feel like I knew what the idea was. And we talked about this, didn't we, back at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. And you look at Everton and you look at <laughs> yes. United and... Um, the teams, the two teams, have finished bottom. Where you're just like, what is it you're actually trying to do? Like, what is? Why have you bought the players that you bought? What's the system that they're playing in? Arsenal to me feel like there is now that plan, which is why it's all right that they're all young kids, you know, mm-hmm. growing up in that plan, right? Um, Brentford definitely got it as well, and obviously the top two have got it. Um, not so much elsewhere, you know. And that's what is, that that is the edge that I think one one of the few edges you can have if you don't have all the money is having a really really good plan that everyone from the uh, chairman down to the youth team coach knows what it is and it runs all the way through. Well, that's it. It's a, it's, it, it's it's that unified vision is 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 so so important and 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 we definitely didn't have that at Arsenal. I mean, the internal conflict was laid bare for anyone who was interested enough to look uh, for 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 a number of years. I mean, uh, Paul, obviously, uh, you you like myself are uh, hail from near the environs of Brentford and uh, and have great affection. What's your perspective from the outside of of, of the Mighty Bees season? <laughs> um. I remember going to the Brentf- the Arsenal Brentford game in February. We'll move the conversation on to a game we won, <laughs> and um, yeah, we're sitting in was, the. I wasn't at that game, so you can't. <laughs> you can't that was one of the other games. Okay, <laughs> but um, yeah, so Gabs left after Bukayo Saka's put us two 0 up and got the beers in, which was very kind of him. But it, it wasn't just out of pure kindness. It was because he was pissed off. Um, but I remember sitting with him in the full room fullback and um, our mate, Jimmy, who's also a Brentford season ticket holder. And I was like, you're going to be all right. And Gabs was in the real stress about relegation because I think he had Burnley, Norwich and Newcastle immediately afterwards. It, something like those games. Yeah. And it's oh, if we don't get six points, we're in real trouble. We're in real trouble. And it's like, Gabs, you're going to be fine. Honestly, you will be fine. Yeah. And we um, obviously were. <laughs> and I, I was saying to them a couple of weeks ago, you know, you, what, what a season you guys have had, really. I mean, you beat us on the opening day. You got to beat Everton, which is a big deal in our friendship group because two of our best mates are Everton fans. Um and of course, Gabs then chimed in. Plus, we battered Chelsea. Yep. And as you said earlier, Dave, you were safe with weeks to go. I mean, I, I'm not really sure what more Brentford fans could have wished for out of the season. And you got to watch Christian Eriksen, which, um, you know, difficult as it is for us to talk about on this podcast, he's a quality footballer. Um, so... Yeah, I, I guess the question that I was going to ask you, Dave, is how you see the second season going. Do you, do you think do you think you'll improve, and or do you think you might there might be a bit of second season syndrome, maybe? Well, people say second season syndrome, and I think often it's just they just mean reversion to the mean, right? Because I think it's, it's it's one of the things that people say. They're just like, oh, well, the second season will be tough. Yeah, yeah, of course it might be. We still have that plan. Um, we we're going to be less and less surprising to teams you know our high press is going to get everyone plays that now it's not that hard we will change it up I'm sure we'll have a new shape Mm -hmm. next season you know one of the things again that is our edge we're not just going to keep on being able to do the same stuff we have to sort of stay one step ahead you might buy a right back (laughs) might buy a right back I think we're in the process of completing our right back actually which is quite exciting some uh, Danish lad whose name I can't remember from Salzburg 
Um, but oh, I was going to say, uh, forgotten. Sorry. You do, Sorry. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, anyway, a thing. I was going to say something profound. Oh, yeah. We don't have to sell people anymore. Mm. And it is, I reckon, maybe one of our big names will go in the summer just because Newcastle will do something stupid and come in with some stupid amount of money for someone. But that's quite exciting as well. I think a large part of second season syndrome is often when teams don't do that. that you know, they kind of do ship out the thing that made it work in the first place. So I think, well, like, I don't know, like any Brentford fan who has a brain on them would be fairly relaxed in the scheme of things about going down again because this isn't going to last forever. 13 years ago, we were beating Darlington. Um, and unfortunately, there are some people starting to come to Brentford now hmm. who've never known it any other way right who have just started going down their local team because now their local team's in the premier league or who've known you know because we've had five strong years in the championship and there's a little bit of people around me doing a bit too much moaning about us like not winning every single game of the season you know <laughs> um so that worries me a bit that i think there's this expectation now that we're going to kick on but i think like mid-table i think is perfectly achievable possibly yeah, I think. I mean, I think from a Brentford perspective, as it is for any team with 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 finite resources, really, it's it's injuries, fitness, uh, and just and just keeping the group solid together. You know, I mean, it's no coincidence that Brentford had their dodgy patch, in, as mid teams often do, when they had two or three absolutely key players missing. Yeah. And and the thing about key players is that it's more than just what they provide in terms of actual on the pitch contribution. It's about it's about the way they influence the way the rest of the team feels about things. And 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 you mentioned before we started recording both Ivan Tony and, and David Ray are coming back. And I have to say that I feel quite smug because I did message you, I think, in February saying it'll all be fine when Ivan comes back. And you know, he's he, you know, and then he promptly scored like five goals in two games or something. That's like see. Uh, and not and not that he is necessarily the best player, but just because what he brings to the party is something that just makes it easier for the others to do what they do. Um, And, and there's something about his on pitch personality, which he's kind of got this, it's okay, lads, I got this vibe going on, which I think transmits. And, and and I think that makes, and obviously David Rea is, is is a a goalkeeper that Arsenal were looking at with good reason. He's a, I mean, Rea is my player of the season for Brentford. I mean, he's an extraordinary player. And and the reason I say that is because I went to the game. He got injured in October, I'm going to say. And I went to the next game, which was away at Burnley. And we got absolutely stiffed. It was it was 3-0, 3-1, sorry. But it could have been like 7 or 8. This is Burnley we're talking about here, right? And the only thing that was different was that the, our new keeper, is perfectly decent, but he's not David Raya, hmm. didn't know, didn't, have the same role in the team and the defence didn't know where they were and you could tell they weren't sure he was behind so the defence got nervous and then defence got nervous and then Burnley took advantage of it and that's all it is is that we one of the things that you have to do when you're Brentford or someone coming up is have a way of playing a system that kind of has the key bits you know the key bits in place and David Ryer is absolutely key to that he's an amazing keeper but he's a sweeper and he can ping it like 80 yards to feet and turn defense into attack his distribution is just you know extraordinary and Tony too Tony like people look at Tony and go oh maybe he hasn't got enough goals that's completely if you look at his stats like he wins all wins the most aerial duels I think in the whole Premier League last season yeah he's he's there he's doing that sort of deep lying role flicking it on for our frankly slightly less good strikers to generally miss shots with but um you know that's what you notice is take out the key bits of a 
of a team like that and you suddenly have trouble. So, so having got a general overview, I think it's time that we actually look at some end of season awards, uh, seeing as this is the format we're going through. And obviously it forces what us to win. <laughs> well, uh, you win. Uh, well, whichever you prefer out of coming back on the podcast or never coming back on the podcast, you can choose which the prize is. <laughs> we'll see, shall we? Uh, um, we'll see, we'll see, see if what I say next upsets your listeners. <laughs> but um, uh, we like doing end of season awards, particularly without too much prep, because it forces people to think quickly, um, including myself. Um, so with that in mind, um, I mean, we'll do it for both parties, um, uh, both by, by both parties. I mean, both clubs, obviously. Uh, so we're going to start looking at Arsenal uh, and, and looking at, the Arsenal player of the season. And um, I've sort of already expressed this with others, but I'd love to know what you guys think. So Dave, uh, from an outside perspective, as you said, you know, you're not uber familiar with all things in Arsenal land, but who for you is your Arsenal player of the season from that? Well, I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a hipster answer and I'm sure there's an answer that Arsenal fans would give that outsiders wouldn't. But the only, I can't really look much beyond Saka, who is just like amazing right whenever i've seen um which i don't even to explain it the other one i, mean, I was gonna say i was gonna say Erdegaard because whenever i've seen Erdegaard play i think i've, I've texted you when i watch arsenal and stuff like I'm, I'm bowled over by him but i was chatting about this to a mate last night and he said yeah but loads of times you don't see Erdegaard and he's rubbish and you don't turn up so i feel like i now shouldn't say that and i'm ashamed <laughs> so let's go saka because every time i see him he's amazed i have to say that bakayo saka is strange enough the answer that other parties gave as well would ask the same question uh, so i so despite your concerns it is probably the right answer although honorable mentions did go to martin guard particularly for the second half of the season and also um for different reasons both aaron ramsdale and ben white but that was more for their their impact in in terms of atmosphere and, and style of play rather than actual being the best performers. Um, the arguments being that uh, Ramsdale meant a bit like David Rea, we could suddenly play out from the back mm. and, and distribute the ball effectively, which is like, hooray, this is this is quite useful to have as part of a football club. Because um, Burton Leno is a fine goalkeeper, but not with the ball at his feet. Mm. And um, so You think Ramsdale's worth the money then? I do think he's worth the money. I think, I mean... Proof of the pudding, etc. Because obviously we've only seen one season from him. But if he continues at this level or continues to improve, then we can't complain about the money simply because what flaws he does have a pale in comparison to the impact he's had, both in terms of play style, but also just vibes. And vibes shouldn't really be a thing in football, but well, they it's are. A massive, it's a massive thing in football. <laughs> yeah, they shouldn't we'll be. We'll talk about Ericsson in a minute. Like, there's yeah, your yeah. vibes, right? Yeah, and and just the fact that Aaron Ramsdale turned up and with you know three quarters of the Arsenal family going, oh, he's running rubbish, he's been relegated, all that ill-informed nonsense with people who don't actually watch things. And then within about literally a game, everyone's like, oh, he's great. We love him. <laughs> and it's just like, yes, because he brings the vibes. And there's a reason why he's been loved everywhere he's ever played. And that he's like, he's been fans player of the season. I mean, it won't be this season because it'll be Bukayo Saka, but but he's fans player of the season every season, every club he's ever played at. So that tells you something about someone that, you know, is, is significant. Um, Paul, uh, what, Hi. what's your Arsenal player of the season? Bukayo Saka. <laughs> Very good. Yatsie, we have a full house. <laughs> in shock news. Um yeah, I mean, as I said last week, he, he's featured in every game 
Premier League game we played this season. He's been another season of improvement from him. I mean, I think possibly the questions uh, from the end of last season were, can he score enough goals? He, he's added that to his game. His finishing has definitely improved. I mean, it can still improve further. Um He's just a joy to watch. And I, I, I keep going back to the uh, Jonathan Lee piece that he wrote around uh, the start of the year. You know, there's no better so- sound in a football ground than the sound of the crowd when Bukayo Saka gets on the ball and you think something's going to happen. Um, and he is the boy that makes things happen for us. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, clean sweep. Uh, everyone agrees on that one, and no great surprise. So um, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll run through the Arsenal ones first because we'll probably be quicker, and the Brenton will probably be less interesting for the listeners in some ways. But uh, disappointment of the season from an Arsenal perspective. Again, Dave, I don't expect you to do a deep dive on this one, but just your what you what you view from the external what the disappointment of the season um well i was i had the perspective of not of seeing you not turn up at all in that first game um and like being disappointing is not the right word because we very much enjoyed kicking your ass Mm -hmm. but i think just the sense of like at that point anyway in the season feeling like arsenal a bit crap aren't they um it's kind of the best I've got, really, from a player point of view. I don't, I don't know. I mean, what happened to Lacazette? There's a question. Because <laughs> I, I, I thought he wasn't around anymore because you don't play him, but he's there. He's on the bench. He's not coming on. I like. Wasn't he amazing at one point, Lacazette? What's gone on there? Uh, I think he's ever been amazing for us. I, I think that I think the short answer is uh, after a period of sacrificing his own personal glory for the benefit of the team in the middle of the season. He ran out of legs and fitness and and uh, an ability to play a full season and indeed a full ninety minutes has been a major issue for him since he joined the club, and I um, mean he just he got to the point where he put so many hard yards in that by about April he was like running through treacle. It was just like oh god, um, yeah, yeah. I mean he's a decent shout for one of the disappointments of the season and indeed got a vote uh, from our, the the previous people who discussed this topic. Um, Paul, what about you? Um, player-wise, I, I, I think you kind of have to throw Aubameyang in there. Um, club captain at the start of the season, the main man. 350 um, grand a week. <laughs> 350 grand a week. And he didn't make it to December. And I, I think, you know, the Aubameyang that we saw two seasons ago, uh, we'd probably be having different conversations <laughs> So I think him from the players that finished the season, Lacazette is an obvious one. Um, But as uh, my friend James said to me a few months ago, he thinks we probably got more out of Lacazette than we might reasonably have been expected to, which may be a point of view Lana uh, wouldn't agree with, but just another perspective. He was her disappointment of the season. Ah, okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. and then as a team, I think to get into the position to be in the top four and not finish it off was disappointing. I think at the team performance, the game at Everton, oh. uh, which oh. was, you know, we haven't got a great recent record at Goodison Park, but, 
you know, I, I can accept losing, but us turning up and playing the way we did out of nowhere. Um, and, and, also, it, and also having uh, two, you know, missing some sitters as well when we actually started playing well the last 10 minutes. Mm. Um, um, yeah, so I, I think there were a few things to be disappointed about this this, yeah. this season. I mean, I've already had my say elsewhere, but I will just throw in Nicola Pepe uh, as mm. fundamentally disappointing in so many ways. Uh, um, okay, match of the season. Uh, again, uh, Dave, you didn't see that many Arsenal matches, but you would have seen a few. Uh, which of those did you think was the best game? Not necessarily an Arsenal victory, but just what stood out. But you, you know my answer to this question. <laughs> yes, that's um, kind of why I'm keeping it up in that way. <laughs> because it's also my answer to the question, to, so we can cut it out. It's also the answer to the Brentford question as well. Like the, I think Brentford 2, Arsenal 0 is the single best Brentford experience of my life. Never mind match of the season. Um, and it, I'm kind of purely biased, but also actually like the, everything came together for us in that. Okay, it was the first time with fans full fans after everything first time in the new ground first time in the premier league and we were really good and we beat arsenal and the the sheer the crackle in that place like it wasn't as a game of football it wasn't extraordinary like but but the just the the experience of that match was amazing and i loved it because it kind of set the tone for the narrative for our season as well like narrative is really important well it's <laughs> also really good well. to turn up and go oh we're playing against someone that everyone expects to beat us and we turn them over we're probably going to be all right <laughs> yeah so so i think i think that i thought um i also really enjoyed your game against leeds which is one i watched quite recently primarily because how funny leeds were Yes, yeah. but, but I thought you were amazing in that game. Like, I was really impressed. I have to say, um, Paul, your match of the season. I did really enjoy uh, away at Leeds, obviously, um, but we were playing quite a weak and Leeds side, um, so I had some sympathy for my Leeds supporting friends. Um, it's got to be the uh, North London derby for me, um, but absolutely <laughs> terrific. Um, well, hour from Arsenal, and then for some reason we kind of shit the bed a little bit in the last ten minutes. But it doesn't detract from what uh, the first half particularly was. Um, I mean, that's the football we want to see Arsenal play, right? That's that, that, that's the ideal to be able to do that. Um, it was also probably Aubameyang's last great performance in an Arsenal shirt. Indeed, indeed, a terrific goal. Um, oh. Uh, and Harry Kane getting an assist with Bakaya Saka was just comedy gold. Obviously. Well, when you mentioned Schadenfreude earlier, I've got um, I've got a different answer for that. But Harry Kane, um, you know, giving the ball away in the first place by I think did he do an air shot or something? Something like that. Yeah. Making the effort to get all the way back up the other end of the pitch, and then giving the ball back to Bakaya Saka, absolute brilliant. Um, yeah, I think. You know, if the Manchester City home game had been two minutes shorter, we might have been talking about that. It's been one of our matches of the season. E even getting a draw out of that game would have been... Um, well, even though been... we lost, that was my choice. When yeah. I, because I just thought it... Yeah. It, it was the first time we'd gone up against either City or Liverpool and not been swatted away like small children. It was like, they're actually... They're actually scared of us, scared enough of us in this game to start cheating, and they haven't had to do that against us for about three or four years. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I also think actually, 
uh, we've talked about it before, but the reaction from the crowd at the end of that game, despite the fact yes, that we exactly. lost, was <sighs> something yeah. that I think every Arsenal fan that watched that game would have been, you know, that's a spine-tingling moment. We've been beaten 2-1 by Man City, but the players were roared off the pitch. I mean... I don't, you know, I, I think you know that why, game... you know why this is you know why this is funny because like that's the sort of thing Brentford fans do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the sort yeah. of thing I thought Arsenal fans did. <laughs> like when well, we get walloped by Man City or something, we're like we applaud everyone off because we're really proud just to be there. It's nice to Arsenal. That, 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 that. Well, well, it's it it's not just the fact that being competitive against a team that we haven't laid a glove on in several years, but it's it's also the fact that what made it significant was exactly as Paul says it. The atmosphere in the ground throughout the entire game, it was like after after five or six years of basically not being a very nice place to go because it's full of so many people fighting each other, uh, you know, not necessarily literally, but you know what I mean? And it's like everyone was on the same page. Everyone was supporting the team in a way that hasn't happened for a few years. Uh, and it was just like good vibes. And it was also that thing of we've lost, we played really, we lost, but we're all still unified and that's that for me was a, a very significant moment because we haven't had nearly enough of that and to be honest it's partly why i started going for less games because i just wasn't enjoying going to the ground anymore because it's for so many middle bastards whinging the whole time uh, um although i can understand why because there was a shit show in front of them um okay what about um we've had sort of disappointments of the season um but now a slightly different one, donkey of the season. So again, we'll start with Arsenal and we'll do all these with Brentford shortly. Um, but yeah, basically, not necessarily who disappointed you most, but who was just shit. I'm going to have to defer to you lads on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid. It possibly would have been easier for an external viewer in previous seasons where there were more obvious candidates for, <laughs> for being I shit. I mean, I'd, yeah, I'd be interested. I don't think Arsenal have not been a team that have screamed we have got someone shit right you've got you it's not josh Sargent territory right like yeah you, know, you, you haven't got shit players anymore i don't and, and and the and the total wankers have been expunged right uh, so yeah any thoughts on, on that one paul yeah that's a good point dave mate I, I i don't think there's been anyone that's been really really terrible apart from the aforementioned nicola pepe and even he had his moment against wolves didn't he um I'm not a fan of Cedric, but I wouldn't so go so far as to call him a shit footballer. I just think he's a bit of a nothing footballer. Um, I guess we could go for uh, someone who implausibly played for Arsenal this season in a, and an absolute spanking was terrible and was immediately sent away, which is the uh, the, the daily departed side Kalasanac. Oh, yeah, of course. Who we'd all completely forgot was still I an Arsenal he player. Existed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we'd, forgot, we'd forgotten he was an Arsenal player because we thought he'd been got rid of and suddenly he was uh, playing at the end. <laughs> and we're like, where the fuck did you come from? The Thompson <laughs> of Arsenal. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I guess there is another candidate. I'm loath to say because I actually think he's going to be a very good player for us. But I think Flo Balogun at Brentford showed uh, just how far away from ready he has been for the Arsenal first thing. But that isn't his fault. He's a, he's a young kid and he's not had a lot of first team football. Um, well, when he wasn't ready then, was he? I mean, no, no. Half, half that team wasn't at that point. Like I remember then, like Martin Elliott, I think, has, had a, has really come on. But in that yeah. game against us, he was... You know, barely touched the ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, and also, I mean, again, it's not fair because it's a young player 
playing only the second game, but, but Charlie Patino at Forest in the FA Cup was just like, oh, that yeah. was like, that was like the poster boy for you're going to be really good, but you are just, you just don't know how to be at this level yet. And, and you know, so I'm expecting him to get a good loan season next season. Um, okay. Goal of the season from an Arsenal perspective. Um <laughs> I know, David, you haven't seen that many, but there might be one that you liked. I just uh, go back. To, I just really, really enjoyed the uh, first goal against Leeds the other day. It was amazing. <laughs> goal of the season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was great. Leeds basically kicking it. The keeper basically kicking it into effectively his own net by just giving well, it to whoever. It was. Yeah, I mean, he he just sort of stood there and let Nketiah tackle him. Um, Although and Ketchy's done that to a few goalkeepers, it's quite interesting. Uh, what, what, uh, what about you, Paul? I've got a few. Um, Aubameyang against Tottenham, uh, absolutely brilliant goal. I've got actually, I think both the goals we scored in the Brentford game were really good. Um, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Saka absolutely ripping yeah. one from the left side of the box on his left foot in off the post, and the Smith Rowe goal, which I remember talking about on the podcast at the time not quite understanding how David Raya didn't manage to save it, but it was a really well-placed... His special power, I'm going to get it. Not very hard in the place that you can't get it. Indeed. (laughs) Uh, Martin Erdegaard on the last day against Everton. Uh, Smith Rowe at Chelsea. What what a move. A beautiful... Granite Xhaka. Granite Xhaka, but the pass from Erdegaard, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, in some ways quite a simple pass, but... You know, he effectively just teed the ball up for Smith Rowe to do the trademark Smith Rowe finish. Um, but the one I'm going to go for is Alex Lacazette against Southampton. Because yeah, that's what we went for. The, that's what we went for with with the ladies as well. It's yeah, such a beautiful I, goal. I mean, Chelsea goal had an element of chaos about it at the start, but the Southampton goal was like, oh, this is what we're trying to do. Well, and the thing with that Southampton goal as well is that it happened on my side of the pitch. So literally there was the panic in the penalty area at the start. And then as the move unfolded directly in front of me, Tommy Assi gets on the ball, gives it to Saka and Saka goes. And then, um, as as I said a minute ago, you know, the sound of Bukayo Saka with a football at his feet. Um, he said something was going to happen, and it did. <laughs> a great finish from Lacazette. Okay, moving on quickly, signing of the season from an Arsenal perspective. Aaron Ramsdale. Oh, yeah, Dave's nodding. Hard to argue with that, isn't it? I don't, you, um, when did Odegaard complete? When was that? Oh, that was, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he, he's he's the other primary candidate. Yeah, because um, like I said, he he seems like a player you have not had. For a long time, to me, that sort of that sort of yeah. And although I think he did, be, yeah, he got a way to go, but I love him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when Erdegaard's, he has odd games, particularly after the international breaks, where he goes a bit awol. Uh, but when he's cooking, he's just a dream, dreamy player to watch. He's got that little bit of that thing that Özil had when Özil was good of just doing things as in, that make the crowd make involuntary noises <laughs> and I, I think that's always always a very good sign um, and lastly from an Arsenal perspective the uh, player who's left the club maybe in the summer or maybe during the season who you think uh, Arsenal may have missed uh, during their absence if there's anyone Tony Adams <laughs> <laughs> um, not as a manager <laughs> 
I, I think that there's, aside from Uber, I would say, I think we could have really done with Ainsley Maitland-Niles. <laughs> yeah, that was my <laughs> a point. couple of points over the last few months. Um, possibly Callum Chambers as well, actually, but Arteta had obviously made his mind up about Chambers quite early on this season. Um, well, Chambers started like, the first three games of the season as first choice right back, and then was never seen again. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like um, holy shit! But to be fair, Chambers turned up looking like he wasn't fit, and not because he'd been injured. Mm. If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, so, so I would say Ainsley, but obviously... I'm well, that was gonna... my vote as well. So there we yeah. go. Because uh, when you're playing the same uh, fullbacks and midfielder every game until they their limbs fall apart, it'd be nice to have actually a rotation option. So moving on to Brentford, which is probably more interesting because Dave's here. Um, so who Less is interesting the... for your listeners, mind, but you know. Well, okay. it depends who they are. And okay. frankly, uh, we've pandered to them enough already. So, <laughs> so from a Brentford know, listeners <laughs> coming over here, uh, the things. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Send them to Rwanda. Uh, <laughs> free sponsorship. Um, so yeah, Brentford. Brentford player of the season. Uh, so I've said, well, David Rayer, I said this earlier, I think he, um, notable by his absence as much as anything else, like, so the difference when he was there and when he wasn't. You've got to say, uh, the, the player who gets nowhere near enough love, I think he's beginning to get love now, is Christian Norgard, who people are beginning oh, yeah. to notice. Like, he will go to someone for an extraordinary amount of money at some point, and then loads of people will, will hear of him for the first time who don't really watch Brentford, because he doesn't get the headlines or anything like that, but he's just a rock. Like, he very little gets past him. He very rarely wastes the ball, turns defence into attack, so I love him. And Ericsson, obviously, like... Thing is, at Brentford, right, this is the thing Arsenal... You know when I say Arsenal fans moan? This is the thing that you don't understand, right? You don't understand <laughs> that we've never had a player who does things with a football like Christian Eriksen does. And you have, right? Not exactly the same, but that's the kind of yeah. level that you, <laughs> you're used to. So, like, when we see Christian Eriksen at Brentford, right, and he's, he's over here in this corner, and he pings the ball... 75 yards in that direction and for most of the flight of that ball you think he's messed it up you're like oh I'd, he's, he's just booted that into touch and then you see that like what that rico henry has arrived to correct to collect that ball and what christian erickson does is he is he puts things at the outer limit of where a very good player will be able to receive them so he's like you don't get that in the championship and you don't yeah. get that in most football teams. Like very good championship teams put the ball in a place where a championship striker can get them or a very good championship striker. But the, the elite, the cutting edge, the creme de la creme, put it for like at the absolute limit of possibility what you could do with it repeatedly, regularly and, and makes players better so it's just it's extraordinary to watch it's surreal to watch but he is an, he's an amazing player for what it's worth i hope we don't keep him no more accurately i'm not gutted if we if we don't yeah keep yeah, him. yeah 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 <laughs> uh, because but he's amazing to keep him but he's not the plan for brentford right yeah. he's not we can't build around christian erickson we can't stabilize around christian erickson best case we keep him till the world cup and then he goes off somewhere else in in january right but so the problem is he's so good that he kind of is like he's got this gravity that distorts everything around him but it's not long-term sustainable yeah, yeah, for yeah. us to be building around he's him. like he's like a temporary unicorn isn't he uh, 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 i mean i know exactly what you mean it's that when you get the really special players it's the ones when they play a pass it's not just a pass to get the ball from a to b it's a pass that tells the person they're passing to what they have to do next exactly exactly <laughs> And, and and the closest I can relate to that is obviously being an Arsenal fan 
you know, I mean, we'd actually won the league in 89 and 91 and then we'd, and then we'd won some cups, won a European trophy. So, you know, apart from the, a couple of seasons, we'd had it really good. But then Dennis Burkamp turned up and when he signed, we all thought it was a hoax. We thought they were, Dennis, we'd never get Dennis fucking Burkamp. And then he turned up and we're like, holy shit. He does things that we've never seen. Maybe Liam, those older fans who saw Liam Brady at his peak might have seen. But basically... This guy is the best in terms of passing and understanding and ability to do different things player that any of us will ever see, we thought. And then we happened to get other amazing players later. And that's what happens. You get a couple of amazing players and then more amazing players go, oh, maybe that's an option, you know. But this is the, the biggest thing I've learned about the Premier League this season. I'm not going to bang on, really. Is like It is different seeing it in person. There are people who only ever watch football on the telly. Yeah, who yeah. don't understand space and how it works and how players move and how they think. And until you actually see someone do it in real time and you see the kind of narrow window perspective they've actually got and yet, you know, what they can do with the ball. It's amazing. Like, we used to play football at my lunch, football at my work at lunchtime. We used to go out and, like, kick about and thought we were all right, right? And there was a little sort of league of, of teams like us. And then one day this boy turns up who was, play, who was in facilities and he used to be on the books at Spurs. Right? <laughs> and then, and just, you know, then you play with someone like that and you're like, oh, I see, oh, that's what playing football is like. Well, that's kind of what the gap is like when yeah, you come yeah, up to the yeah, Premier yeah. League. It's like, oh, I, the thing that I thought was really good no 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 the people who are the absolute best of that are doing something almost kind of as another sport you know as a slightly self-indulgent moment um you may remember when we were at school together david all those years ago there was a lad oh, called you know lucky boy i wish i had uh there's a lad called clinton ellis who was in the year above who was got onto the books of chelsea and he was uh ended up i think getting a hat trick from schoolboys once or whatever and he was a, like in a playground full of about 300 kids playing football he always had five yards of space. Hmm. And you're like, that doesn't, how do you, <laughs> how do you do that? Like yeah. with cheek by jowl and you've got this orbit. And it is just that thing of going, going, you're just looking at him compared to everyone. You know, all these kids who played for County or got a trial somewhere. And then it was just him. And you're like, oh shit, you are so much better than any of us could ever dream of being. And yeah, it's like that. Okay. So um, if you had to pick one, are you sticking with David Rea? Yes. Paul, any thoughts on Brentford player of the season? No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um. Well, from my removed perspective, I am going to go Ivan Tony, just yeah. because I think it's remarkable for a player to have come up the leagues that he's done, arrived in the Premier League, and nobody knows quite what to do about him. He's and, and he's and he's been he's he's created problems in different ways for all kinds of different teams uh, including Liverpool, Chelsea Arsenal etc etc okay so uh, Brentford uh, let's go for match of the season well uh, the the Arsenal the Arsenal game there's been some extraordinary ones right Um, I mean I'll say from a roof perspective I loved the draw with Liverpool that's the other the obvious contender is that Liverpool game which just as a match as a a football game fantastic I mean I I note that you know all of the sort of like the Guardian's top five games of the season has has got it in it and again I think for a kind of narrative because this plucky little underdog was pegging Liverpool back but also because we weren't battered in that game like we, no. we were good 
You know, we were yeah. actually legitimate. Really good if game. We won that four three. Nobody would have said it was a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and slightly unlucky not to actually, if I remember correctly. But uh, just very briefly, I've been in yeah, some yeah. games. There's been some games at the end of the season that have just been processional for us. Like we've yeah. beaten Southampton three nil, and like you know, completely at home in the Premier League. That has been different sort of match of the season. It's just been like yeah, well, yeah. You know, we've arrived. Turning up and just going, oh, we're we're just better than this lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's nice. And we can have three. Yeah? Oh, look, there's third. You know. Yeah. So, okay, Brentford goal of the season. There's quite a few uh, nice candidates. I think I think Johan Visser could have his own personal category for this. Yeah, I love that. Um, Visser goal. Visser goal against Everton makes me tingle. It's a really nice oh, goal. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, this is like your listeners won't remember these goals really, but uh, I can so look them up on YouTube and, and appreciate. Well, the, the goal. That- I mean, I've got a rubbish memory for this sort of thing, but the goal that has been voted our goal of the season, I'm afraid to say, is Sergi Canos' goal against Arsenal. It, the, it, the, the, the the goal that went 1-0 up in the first game of the season. Yeah, yeah. Not- and Cam Chambers was like, after you! <laughs> yeah, and when, when the ball had nearly gone out and then got to kick yeah. back. I mean, not because it was... It's not like a Andros Townsend screamer or anything, but it, it's, again, just the, the, imp- the, the, the feeling of that goal, you know, and that sense of what the hell is going on <laughs> so that's the guy go- i'm gonna probably pick that i think because i just i that was the best moment of the best game that i've ever been involved with as a brentford fan i mean i i, th- I as i say I'd, I'd give serious love to the visa goal against everton but i also loved his goal against liverpool even though it wasn't as technically as great a goal but it was it was one of those harder than it looked like one of those ones yeah, that yeah. Look, you made it look simple it's actually that's really quite difficult what you just did there I don't know if you're going to ask me this you probably won't Wisser is a player who is only just showing us what he can do Wisser is Wisser is an amazing player and people again people who haven't really heard of Johan Wisser yet will I wouldn't be he's wouldn't be surprised if he ends up at an Arsenal or something like that like he's a very very good player any any thoughts Paul having seen a little bit of Brentford this season um there was a goal against Chelsea I really liked. I can't remember who scored it, but he stepped around the defender and just slotted it into the corner. I can't remember if it's the third or fourth goal in that game. I think or it was, who scored it, unfortunately. It was Janelt, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was Janelt, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Um, Italian Alp. He's, he's a player that is destined for uh, more recognition as well. It'll be uh, probably, I reckon he'll be in the German um, World Cup team, probably. Yeah, well, he's, he's he's certainly sniffing around there. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so it's probably slightly harder from a Brentford perspective, but disappointment of the season in terms uh, from a player point of view. Um, Brian and Bueno's a bit shit, really. Unfortunately, um, like he's disappointment's the wrong word, but there was his uh, the, the Athletic had a thing the other day, for, like um, biggest flops of the season, and. And Bueno's in it, unfortunately, because his he has the worst XG to goal conversion ratio of yeah. any by a distance, like by a long way. And as they pointed out, they were like, "Look, six of those hit the post, and if you know three of them had gone in, this we wouldn't be having this conversation." But he is—he gets cause Tony is playing the role selflessly, much more. It, that yeah. means he's sitting further back to flick on from Bueno, and the number of chances, like in the Leeds game alone at the end of the last game of the season, yeah. he, could have had, he could have had two or three. Yeah. So um, I I hate saying it because he's a, he's a young player, but he's not that young anymore, and I have a, just have a feeling that he's not quite going to do it, and I really hope I'm wrong about that. I, 
I think, funnily enough, I I think I saw more of Brentford when you were in the Championship the season before than I have this year. And he seemed to me to be a player that particularly when you had Ollie Watkins at the club still and there was the BMW triumvirate, he was quite flattered to be included (laughs) as part. I mean, I know it makes for a good uh, saying, slogan, whatever. But um, yeah, he wasn't quite at their level. Great movement. Great pace, takes up his intelligent decisions, bit of a random outcome generator. Yes. Because uh, cause some of the goals he scored were great, but he's he, he missed chances you like going, you just can't miss that from there, mate, if, if you're going to play at this level. That's the thing. Um, all right. Uh, I mean, hot on the hill got, with that. I've got another disappointment, Ooh. which is less Brentford-specific disappointment, which yep. may be interesting, which is like... I don't think I like the Premier League very much. If I'm I've honest. heard that. Um, like, I like it. Obviously, the standard of football is amazing and kind of the glory and the kudos. I hate the way fans are treated. I hate the way that yeah. our game against Everton was moved with 13 days' notice to get yeah. on the telly. I hate that they put us on the Man United away on the on the boxing uh, bank holiday afternoon. I hate, like, all of the hoo-ha around it, all of the commercialism around it. I don't like it. Like, and I really hate the gap between the top six and everyone else. And the, the idea that Brentford could ever, ever win this league is a fairy tale. I hate the idea of that. And it's only getting worse, right? Yeah. Um, and it just sucks. That's um, what I think. Unfortunately, uh, the Premier League has been bought, corrupted, packaged and redistributed uh and the only thing we get out of it as fans is the fact that our clubs can afford to pay a higher quality of player. Um, yeah, and uh, and unfortunately, it's taken successive governments uh, far too long to even consider doing anything about it. And 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 ultimately, British football changed forever when Abramovich turned up because before you had United, but they would still only achieving that success and that wealth on the back of a genius manager. And the same with Arsenal; they had their great run, and they were never totally out of reach but now you've I mean Liverpool that's why Liverpool have been so amazing because they've kept pace with City when they really shouldn't be but Liverpool is still a huge club of massive resources but you look at City and what Newcastle are going to be or what Chelsea have been and it's just like there isn't a competition uh, and so it's a a product rather than a competition Uh, and um, yeah that's you have to sort of redefine, because we will love football so much, we have to sort of redefine our relationship within those parameters, which always feels a bit dirty. I've got some really good mates who are Burnley fans and they are genuinely at the point of going, let's just, let's be out of that for a bit. Like, you know, they've not enjoyed the experience of getting their asses handed to them, but there's, you know, it's just, just go and not be traipsing off to very expensive games at, you know half past five on a Sunday evening on the other side of the country just because it works for Sky right yeah, yeah. well indeed uh, and, and just re- reflecting on that when Gary Neville was, was pontificating with great glee about how Arsenal lost at Newcastle because their players were knackered having lost at Spurs having had the game rearranged strange enough he decided not to respond to my comment that it was his employers that decided when the game was rearranged even though they had a gap of four months in which they could have done it prior to that point yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, narrative is all. Um, okay, so Brentford signing of the season. 
Uh, Ericsson. I mean, you've got to say Ericsson. Obviously, Ericsson, because we had it, they had the core of everyone else there already. The fact the fact that we could even get him was pretty extraordinary. Um, the this was a summer signing, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, but it's not the same, is it? I mean, no, it's not the same. It would be, but, I can't possibly answer anything other than Christian Eriksen. Yeah, I'm just going for an honourable mention. <laughs> yeah, Whistle was a summer signing. Um, most of our other summer signings haven't actually quite worked out. No, uh, no. Yeah, but but Whistle was good. But now it's Eriksen. All ends up. Uh, I, I guess you're not going to disagree, Paul. No, no, no. <laughs> Which we, we tried to find some some dissent, <laughs> um, and. Uh, I don't. I mean, Brentford haven't parted many players, but is there anyone that left the club over the last year that you really missed? Yeah, yeah, there is actually, Matthew. Thank you for asking me that. Um, we we let a couple of players go at yeah. last season: Dalsgaard and Macondes, who uh, I Mac- think we could have used at times in the season. Dalsgaard in particular. Actually. Well, indeed, uh, with the uh, problems at right fullback. Yeah. yeah, and I think it just got to the point where he's in his thirties. We weren't going to offer him a new contract. He wanted to go back to Denmark, and it's you know it's a sort of goodwill thing. But yeah, yeah, the yeah. Um, we needed a couple more experienced heads at times in the in, when things were getting sticky in the middle there. But um, but really, I mean, it'd be churlish to say anyone like in Benham in Benham and Frank we trust. It's all co- sort of worked out rather well, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, and, and Mark Condes was a player that. He had a habit of turning up at big moments, but also had a habit of just having very wasteful performances as well. So I think I think the championship is is his level. He's, he's a championship player that could have could have contributed occasionally at a Premier League level. I think. Um, okay, talking more generally because we've only got uh, about two or three minutes left. But uh, moving beyond our two wonderful clubs, uh, player of the season generally, not necessarily the best player, but the player that, who hasn't played for your club that has given you the most pleasure. Or, or you admire the most, or something about them has really stood out for you this year. I'm going to be tedious and say Son Young Min, and I know you'll hate me for that. <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm off. <laughs> I, know, I know you probably haven't seen him on account of how he plays for Spurs, but he's, he's very, he's a very good footballer. <laughs> yes. He's very yes. good, isn't he? You get what I, I think what I love about him, I love those players who are like getting better in their prime you know like he's just quality he really is and he doesn't play for man city i'm not going to pick any of their players on principle yeah i mean it i would like son much more a if he didn't play for spurs and b if he had slight he's he wasn't such a cheating bastard (laughs) and he's so smiley that he never gets called on it he's like his persona is like i'm a lovely man and everyone loves me oops i broke someone's leg oh i'm upset that's good. It's all part of the. That's what makes him good. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. You want. It makes him good in a very sort of Argentina circa 1985 sort of vibe. Um, what about you, Paul? I'm going to cop out massively and say Christian Eriksen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anyone else, and I know how much pleasure he's given my friends. And as I said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I'm all about my friends having a good time, um, yeah. even yeah. the Leeds ones. <laughs> yes, you were even nice about the Spurs one, which is. I know, great. I know, I know. I'm amazed you allowed me back on after that. <laughs> um, can I just throw out a really quick shout out? We inexplicably forgot to mention the three brilliant goals that Arsenal scored at Watford, and they were all absolute worldies. Watford don't count. They're like dog goals. They're like. <laughs> 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 and lastly, with just a minute or so left, match of the season, but it can't involve either Brentford or Arsenal. Oh, crikey. Uh, 
I think the there was a was it the City Liverpool game that finished two all I caught in the pub. That was a very very high quality game of football. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was. I, I mean, if it helps add inspiration, mine was uh, Real Madrid beating Man City in the Champions League for both just Real Madrid's amazing honours this year and also the. <laughs> Yes, that. Yes, that. That. I'm having. I'm having that too. I, I. I can't remember that. I'm going for that. That's a great answer. Because just seeing Pep wandering around, grinning like an idiot, looking like someone had just stolen his trousers, was hilarious. <laughs> Basically, on the on the theme of the Premier League is all awful. Anything. Anything where one of the big teams gets a proper comeuppance, I enjoy. Particularly if they're sports washing, human rights abusing fuckwits. For example. For example, so yeah, just before we head off, um, and I thank, of course, uh, to both our wonderful contributors. I just want to say, Dave, obviously, as a special celebrity guest, who, uh, firstly, is there anything you wanted to say that we haven't covered, uh, talking about uh, Brentford or indeed Arsenal or indeed football at all this season? And also, uh, just for those who are listening and might be some other things, tell us a bit about your podcast. Uh, well, I'll tell you about my podcast. So I, I actually do two podcasts. I, I, they're both about the planet. Um, so one is called Sustainababble, and it's about it's like a comedy podcast about environmental greenwashing stuff. It was originally. It's now just two chats banging on. I also do a podcast called Your Brain on Climate, which is a bit more of a sober one about psychology and climate change and stuff. So, yeah, those that's what I do. Um, the thing I wanted to just to, we haven't we talked about. Newcastle United that's a thing we haven't talked about and I'm interested in the extent to which you think next season they will be uh, higher or lower than Arsenal in the scheme of things um, I think they'll still be lower in the scheme of things simply because they don't have the squad to have consistency throughout a whole season and I think also they're that like all good sports washers they want to pretend to play within the rules so they're going FFP is going to limit how many hundreds of millions of pounds they can spunk at any given time. Um, but I think they will probably have a better central midfield than us next season. But I think their defence will still have more issues that uh, will require attention, despite the conquering hero that is Kieran Trippier, uh, while his hamstrings uh, make him function. I mean, what, what's your view of Newcastle about how things are going to evolve with them? Do <laughs> Fucking hell. I mean, the state of that, the state of going back to the previous rant about kind of what's wrong with football, you know, like the fact that that third kit they're going to have is the Saudi third kit and oh, yeah. they're not even being subtle about it. And it's like they'll do, they'll win everything, not next season necessarily, but at some point they'll win everything. And it's just so monumentally dull and boring and unjust. And I hate it. That's what I think about them. Um, and I hate that they're like, I hate that fans of the, are just like, not all fans, of course, but like Newcastle fans are just like, yeah, this is great. Brilliant. Bring it on. We're owned by the Saudis now. And that's what's going to happen. And I don't know. This is the sort of thing I can do without, to be honest. It's like the bit of the Premier League I can do without. And if that's just one more team, then there'll be another one. Someone else will get bought and they'll go up and there'll be more money. And the idea of a Brentford ever getting a sniff unless they get bought as well, which we won't, is just... Yeah, it's going to fade in it. So I've got the ump about it since you asked. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd very much agree with you, um, not just because of the way that it distorts the sport. And we've, you know, as I say, Abramovich came in and, and made English football something rather different, a different beast as soon as he started, as, as the phrase went, firing his £50 notes from Kansas across the lawn. But this is like a whole different level of both wealth and evil. <laughs> I mean, you know, 
those those who may have be odd enough to listen to me banging on for any length of time, know that we did a, an interview with the Campaign for Human Rights in the United Arab Emirates before, um, which is mm-hmm. a discomfort about the Arsenal sponsorship elements of that, and mm-hmm. also obviously particularly the Man City model. Um, but this is, this is, you know, if you think the Emirati uh, human rights record is dubious, I mean, Saudi Arabia, not only is it another example of peace, people basically stealing money from the people of their own country to basically fund their own wank fests, but it's also, you know, it's... It's as I say, it's the sports washing thing. It's try, trying to make themselves appeal all international and friendly and cool and groovy when basically they're <laughs> doing terrible, terrible, terrible things on a regular basis uh, with laws that still remain hideously oppressive in lots of situations, even when they're applied fully. Um, there's, and- there's basically, there's there's two models to be a top team in the Premier League, and they both stink. One of which is commercial extraction taken to extremity, like this. What this guy's going to do with Chelsea now? The guy's bought Chelsea, like mm. when it's going to be i reckon under a quid a ticket or something to go see chelsea soon like like is it the la dodgers you know it's going to be like that it's going to be extract 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 out of the fans um and then the propped up by sinister wealth petrochemical stroke human rights abusing sports washing nation thing and that yeah. like although the, the the commercial extraction at least comes with an element of risk because I, i'm interested to see how that's going to pan out because yeah, Chelsea are now are a super big club and have done very, very well in the last twenty years off the back of off the back of Oligarch Dosh. But they still don't have a week to week supporter base that's as well established as other clubs at the same level. And if they push that envelope too far, then they they'll find empty seats start to appear. I don't know about this though, because I think it's a, that, that argument's often used about Man U that like, well, maybe the Glazers. Maybe maybe the fans should like not turn up and st- or not buy their season tickets. Yeah, but the, the, there's enough tourists. There's enough bloody tourists will go and sit in Chelsea. But there's the, in Anfield and in. But there is a difference, though, that Man United tickets, are, the tickets of Man United, are still uh, compared to the rest of the Premier League are affordable. Right. Okay. And there are a greater range of ticket prices, and also you know Man United's historical impact is so much greater than Chelsea's. So there's a different there's a different element there and. Man United have been selling out as many fans as they can fit in a stadium for decades, whereas Chelsea, basically, until Abramovich bought them, couldn't fill the ground. Mm. And uh, it's, well, it's like when Arsenal beat them, one of the chants uh, that were going around uh, Stamford Bridge was, just like the old days, there's nobody here. Um, right. And... I think in terms of they'll all, of course, they'll have the the hardcore and they will definitely have the tourist market. But I think, you know, the only way they can they can sustain putting up ticket prices is if they never go ahead with their bigger stadium, because I think they don't have the support base to charge that level of price with, with requiring twenty more thousand fans a week to fit it. I just don't see that happening. They don't, you know, it's one of the things why even when Arsenal was being mismanaged to a chronic degree. I was never that worried about the club's security because there was a season, I mean, it's dropped significantly now, but there was a season ticket waiting list of like eight years. Wow. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't get a season ticket waiting list no matter how much money you had. Done. Um, so that gives me some hope that the commercial extraction has a limit to how far it can go. And also, let's face it, you know, as the daily lives of many people in the UK have been plunged into financial crisis... A lot of people might not go, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, it, ultimately, although it is a religion, football is also a luxury to some to a certain degree, particularly when it's not the same, but you can watch it on the telly and spend a lot less money. And that's something where if the if the ticket prices keep going up, then the tension there is going to increase. So I do, I, you know, I, I'm inclined to optimism uh, sometimes to, to my own failings, um, but uh, I, I think that has a limit to how far it can be stretched. Um, and as we've seen, you know, the one great thing we can take to give us all hope is all it takes is one of these really rich, powerful clubs, or even just a big club hiring the wrong manager two or three times in a row and they can set themselves back a few years. I mean, Man United, I mean, Man United, look at it. It's, it's farcical the, yeah. the, the way that club's been run for the last five or six years. Well, Everton's the better example. How close well, are they? Like, yeah. not only, if Everton had gone out of the league, they, like, they may not exist as a football club for much longer. You know, like, all I reckon all it's going to take is that, I suppose the, the, the plus side of, of like more and more and more wealthy teams in the same division is one of them's got to go at some point for as yeah. long as relegation is allowed anyway by the gods of money and and, and at that point i what you know a team might actually go a, a one of these teams might really really struggle at which point oh, I, don't, I kind of feel that's the only thing sorts this out yeah as you say everton i mean if we think man united have been mismanaged i mean holy shit everton's net spend it's like, where have you got all this money from and where's it all gone? Where's it all gone? Yeah. You know, you, you've, you, you've got the worst team you've had in, you know, a decade in terms of performance levels and yet you've spent the best part of £800 million assembling it. Like, and that's the thing is, yes, you know, we can look at these uber-rich teams, you can look at Newcastle, you can look at Man City and yes, generally they're going to hire smart people. But all it takes is a couple of bad decisions because, you know, uh, 10 years ago, everyone thought Man United was smart people doing th- smart things well. And they're, and they're, you know, they're desperately trying to find themselves stop taking on water. Anyway, that was a bit of a digression. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Dave mentioned about the um, Everton game. Cause I think I might have mentioned that on the previous pod about Gabs getting his flight to, to uh, Manchester and then... Um, they moved the kickoff back two hours. He couldn't go anymore because his, he couldn't move his flight. I did want to say one thing: he, the Schadenfreude category we never actually got to. <laughs> um, so I mentioned earlier talking about Harry Kane. There was uh, him falling on his face twice at the Emirates was obviously great, but my best moment of Schadenfreude in the season is Arsenal scoring the goal of the season uh, at home to Southampton and my friend James missing it because he was in the toilet at the time. <laughs> <They're> harsh. <laughs> <laughs> he listens to the podcast, he'll appreciate the mention. Um, oh, okay. I, okay. I, I said to him I was going to put him in my phone as goal of the season. Um I mean, that's one great thing about football is it always provides nearly endless possibilities for Schadenfreude. And and my Schadenfreude of the season just has to be, and I've already banged on about it before, is uh, Real Madrid, who aren't exactly the good guys, but beating all the bad guys in a row. (laughs) It's like, ah, you are the super rich clubs funded by dubious means. We will take you all down. And yeah, PS, PSG, Chelsea and Man City in a row, sort of just killing those three evil giants, uh, sort of made them worth it and deserved to beat Liverpool regardless of what happened in the game, really, just because they, they were quite unusually acting as a force for good. 
Yeah, they're like the uh, Spider-Man of Champions League football <laughs> this that's season. A, that's an analogy you weren't expecting, boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. well, on that slightly curious note, uh, we'll knock it on the head. But, uh, well, thank you both. It's been cracking coming on. Thank you so much, lads. Uh, as you know, Ants aside, I have a lot of affection for Arsenal. So all the best. All the best for next season. Look forward to uh, <laughs> our rematches and looking forward to coming back on here again and telling you all the stuff that's wrong about being an Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> and laughing at us when we inevitably lose at your place again due to another set piece cock up. And enjoy some lovely months without football because, frankly, um, too much football. That's the other thing. Anyway, I'm going. As I say, thanks again, Paul. Uh, always great to chat to you. Thank you, mate. Uh, uh, we'll speak to you very soon have a great week everyone um, there's obviously going to be um, transfer stuff coming up which I guess Paul will be slightly less interested in until we actually sign someone and we can talk about it genuinely um, but also I'm going to do some tactical stuff with uh, Stephen our tactical guru I'm going to try and see if I can do a podcast focusing a bit on the next generation particularly uh, those hairlenders who have a chance of impacting on the, the first team at some point next season particularly with the opportunities afforded by Europa League football and we'll also touch on the women's season as well but obviously things will happen and uh, there'll be things to talk about we haven't anticipated as well so have a great week everyone and we'll speak to you next week cheerio bye okay. bye